Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, listeners. Just a quick note about this episode. Some of the audio quality is a little distorted here and there. We are still recording remotely, so technical difficulties are a bit more prone to happen. We appreciate your understanding. Enjoy the episode. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Caitlin. Uh, I think it's time we try. <laughs> I think it's time we try a full court podcast. Oh, okay, I get it. I thought you were. You know what I thought you were gonna do? Mm, what? I thought you were gonna go full mommy on me. I thought you were gonna be like, Jamie, you can't be a basketball player. I need you to be a podcaster like me. I got you an internship. <laughs> You've got to follow fucking Joe Rogan around all day. And if you don't, I'll be so mad at oh. you. What a curse that would be. I know. Imagine following Joe Rogan around all day. What would happen to you? That would be terrible. <laughs> um, I don't even want to think about it. All right. Well, really going in with some negative energy today, which I think is, <laughs> which is good. Which is good. Maybe it sounds like we need a miracle. We need a miracle. To turn things around. We need a miracle. We need mm. a long-winded metaphor. We need a feature-length metaphor is what we need. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the Bechtel cast. Hello. I think that was our best intro yet. You know what's fun? Hmm. Is the longer we do the show, the less we know how to begin the show. Well, because for the longest time, we would just be like, hi, welcome to the Bechtel cast. I'm Caitlin. <laughs> yeah. And then we decided at some point that we really needed to do a clever a intro bit. every time. And I was like, wait a second, we're not even funny. Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> Like, what are we doing? You know, but yeah, if you listen to like early episodes of the Bechtel cast, which you shouldn't, but like, if, <laughs> but if you do, it's like, hi, um, welcome to the show. There's <laughs> a lot of weakness. Look, 
Look, we hit our stride at some point, and then that stride was also messy. <laughs> no, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> You're like, and then it just kind of stopped. Um, we have an amazing episode today. Um, we do. Flee! Oh my god! Sorry, <laughs> my cat has been using my. I don't know why I bought a fabric bed frame like a loser, but he has been shredding it, and it looks five hundred oh. years old. Oh my goodness, Flea! Well, let's start the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right. So this is our podcast where we examine movies yeah. through an intersectional feminist lens. Yeah. Using the Bechdel test. Yeah. But Jamie, I don't remember what that is. Oh, well, I can help you out there. The Bechdel test is a media metric created by Alison Bechdel, queer cartoonist. I don't I usually say that in the opposite order, but today I didn't. Um, there's a lot of different versions of it. Here's the one that we use. It requires that any piece of media have two characters of a marginalized gender with names who speak to each other about something that is not a man for two lines of dialogue. The, those lines of dialogue should be meaningful. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the show, you understand. You get it. And if you don't, I feel like you'll get the hang of it. It's all good. Yeah, it's pretty. it's pretty easy, honestly. This movie does not... Not to get ahead of ourselves. And if you're, this is your first time listening, we don't spend the whole show trying to figure out if it passes the Bechdel test or not. Did this movie pass? I don't think it did, right? I no. don't think so. Also, I would love it if someone's first episode of this show was Full Court Miracle. I would love if they showed their like, Full Court Miracle stands. Finally, it's our fucking moment. <laughs> there's, always, there's always one person that's like, I've been waiting for this specific mm. decom yeah it's true. been a while since we've done a decom it felt good it feels good to be back in the in the in the movies that cost 14 dollars to make weeds yeah you're in your comfort zone jamie i feel like i'm yeah. out of my element the only decoms i've seen are the ones that we've watched for the show plus teen beach movie one and two well you have to we have to support friend of the cast gracie gillum that's who is that's the true. queen of the beach canonically mm-hmm. um <laughs> So if you're listening to this, Gracie, hello. We see you and we recognize you as the queen of the beach now and forever. Yes. But today we're talking about Full Court Miracle. And there, I feel like it's fun to maybe say how we planned this episode because it was yes. at a wedding, mm-hmm. but not just any wedding, the wedding of our guest, because always be booking your podcast, even when you're at maybe the most personal event of a person's life. <laughs> Yeah, so let's introduce her and we could all tell the story together. So yeah. she's an artist, owner of Junior High, a nonprofit community space in Los Angeles. You remember her from our episodes on Josie and the Pussycats and The Fast and the Furious. It's Faye Orlove. Shalom. Shalom. Welcome back. I guess I should have added to my intro notes that I'm Jewish. Yeah. Oh. I'll go back and cut that in. Can you um, start over from when you did the intro, though? Like your yeah, <laughs> can we run that back? Full court podcast. <laughs> I know, because yeah, you don't want to lose that because it was so effortless the way that we did it. Was it was so good. Well, it was really cool being behind the scenes, seeing how many times y'all practiced that. It was just amazing. Yeah, and I feel like it really paid off. We've been rehearsing for at least a month. <laughs> yeah, we've been really working really hard on this. Um, Faye, we we planned this episode at. I mean, I would say maybe less than an hour after you got married. <laughs> it was a pretty Jewish wedding as far as 
non-rabbinical weddings go like we didn't have a rabbi but there were a lot of jewish moments and i think what you just were like we want to do a jewish episode of bechdel for hanukkah and i was like immediately we have to watch full court miracle (laughs) yeah and then you called your husband of less than an hour over and was like ross we're gonna do full court miracle and ross was like yeah like it was very exciting well it's his favorite movie and you're his favorite podcast so i was like this is the best gift i could give him besides my virginity you know (laughs) which you did right oh he got both that day yeah oh amazing (laughs) it was a busy day it was busy yeah i mean i remember you saying that this would be your wedding gift to him this you being on this episode Ross, this is your wedding gift. It is. And I'm still waiting for what he's going to get me. So Mm. TBD. What the fuck? I guess just like a happy life together and like eternal support. But like, I don't know. Mm. I'd rather have something like hold. Well, Ross, if you're listening, you owe Faye an equally amazing wedding gift as being on the Bechtelcast talking about your favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Just saying. I'd say, honestly, you owe Faye a full court miracle. <gasps> honestly, Ross brought this movie into my life, which is shocking because he's really? not Jewish. I had never seen this movie until he showed it to me as his favorite Disney Channel original movie that was really formative for him as this little white kid who wanted to be a basketball player. And mm-hmm. I was like... I was pretty shocked when I saw the movie for the first time. All these little Jewish kids. Like, you don't see that on TV. No, you I was don't. like, oh my God, this movie primed him for a lifetime of me. So <laughs> so you were already like a full adult by the time you had seen this. Oh, it was probably like three years ago, the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I didn't know that you hadn't grown up with this movie. Did you grow up with DCOMs in general? Oh, yeah. I had shockingly never heard of this one. I don't even know how I skipped mm. it. Hmm. This one is kind of a deep cut. Um, I don't really fully know why. No one talks about it. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin, did you have any history with this movie? None whatsoever. When What if she did? Like, Caitlin, <laughs> never see like that. That's just so funny. Well, because I famously have not, I didn't grow up with the Disney Channel, right? so I had never seen any DCOMs until we started this podcast. Very toxic way to live. I truly, I I resent my parents every day for not having cable in the house, Yeah, but this is another one I had, I had never heard of it either, because there are some that like, obviously I'd heard of, you know, your high school musicals, your smart houses, your, I don't know, whatever the other ones are that are like pretty popular. Yeah. This one, yeah, didn't even, so when we were talking about it at the wedding reception, (laughs) we were like, yeah, full court miracle. I was like, what are you, what is this? And much to my amazement, you followed up. I was like, this is never going to (laughs) happen. Look, and, and to be fair, we have made some podcast guesting promises while drinking hard liquor which we were that we have not followed up on but this time we did well i would have canceled you i would have called you anti-semitic and it was out of fear that you would do that yeah (laughs) well no i'm almost curious what sort of i don't know like uh research you've done to just prepare yourself because there's going to be a lot of jews listening there's well i did do some research just to like i mean I did learn things from Full Court Miracle. I didn't think I had seen this movie before, but then as I was watching it, I realized I actually had seen it. Because I was like, I sort of just assumed that I saw every decom that came out between like 1999 and like 
2007, pretty much. Like that was my era. Mm -hmm. And that's when I kind of topped out. So I did see this, but I think I just got confused because there's just other, there's so many Disney movies about basketball that I, I just sort of didn't remember this one specifically because they're playing basketball in High School Musical. They're playing basketball in a formative one for me, which it was double teamed. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're also iconically mm-hmm. playing basketball. Is Luck of the Irish? Luck of the Irish. That's another one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But this one, they wear yarmulkes. Right. And mm-hmm. I, and that was, um, and that's on me for not having a stronger imprint of of this movie but i had seen it before um Mm. and i remembered nothing so so there you go i'm glad you came into it fresh yeah it's better that way i learned i learned i lived i laughed i loved and i also (laughs) have some critical thoughts (laughs) same whoa whoa, whoa. you didn't tell me we were gonna be critical of this film (laughs) i'm so sorry for you to find out this way that this is what the show is about yeah (laughs) Wow. I'll let you guys take the lead because I have absolutely nothing to contribute negative. <laughs> <laughs> well, should I recap the story and then we'll get into this criticism? I have been waiting for the Caitlin Durante full court miracle recap. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I uh, The people demand it. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how I do. Okay. Okay. So we meet Alex Schlotsky. He is a 14-year-old kid who goes to... Okay, here's my first question. Is this a middle school? I know it's a Hebrew school, but they're like... Unclear. Because it would make sense if they're middle schoolers because like they would be as like 14-year-old eighth graders or whatever. You know, they'd yeah. be like the top dogs at the school. But then I read on Wikipedia that he's a freshman. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why are all these like 14-year-olds the starting players of the <laughs> high school basketball team? Oh, right. <laughs> did not occur to me i sort of when he said he was 14 i'm like well that's the age where you just don't know you just don't know if they're in middle school or high school and i don't mind living in that mystery but that yeah that doesn't make sense that it would be all unless it's like the super jv team and they're just not telling right i don't know yeah i did consider that either way he's 14 and he he attends a hebrew school in philadelphia we meet his friend julie (gasps) who Mm -hmm is sorry okay so that's the we were talking about this off mic that for all my degrassi heads is a i think maybe one of the most famous degrassi characters of all time oh manny santos my god i didn't recognize her how could you not recognize <gasps> manny santos and by manny santos i mean cassie Steele. oh my god she wasn't wearing a thong i could i didn't recognize her <laughs> it is truly one of the great like mm, Truly one of the the greatest Degrassi stars of all time. She played Manny Santos from age 11 to like age 100. Like we don't even know. <laughs> she might still be doing it. Very formative character to my childhood. I love oh, Cassie yeah. Steele to this day. She's great. Also worth, I just feel like, yeah, the child stars in this movie, they're really bringing it because the the kid who plays Alex Schlotzky is the kid from Max Keeble's Big Move. Alex Zeeland's. Ross is idol. Really? Oh, Ross loves this kid. Oh, that is so. <laughs> he contains multitude. I love that he. I I've never met an Alex D. Lins stand before. Oh, he. <laughs> well, come over for dinner sometime. I will. Uh. What's he up to? Anyways, yeah, Max Keeble's big move. I really loved that movie, and I was like, wow, Max Keeble. Uh, now there's a man I want in my life. Is that another decom? I don't. What is this? No, that's a that that was on the big silver screen. Oh, yeah, but it's like 
same budget sort of vibe. Okay. <laughs> I think that this was maybe pre. I don't know if that this came up before or after Full Court Miracle, mm. but it had to do with a kid named Max Keeble, <laughs> and he moved, oh. and that's basically the movie. And there's like shenanigans. Wow. Yeah. Right. Sounds like a romp to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this kid moves from one location to another, and uh, things get You'll never a little weird. <laughs> I think that there is a big food fight, Oh, but maybe I'm projecting that onto my memory, but I think that there is a big food fight. Got it. Anyways, anyway. you know, everyone's, everyone's out and they're doing a great job in the movie Full Court Miracle. Yes. So Alex loves basketball, but his school's team is the worst team in the district or whatever, and they lose basically every game. Partially because their coach doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know anything about the game of basketball. And also partially because the other kids don't like playing basketball, which I feel like yes. is acknowledged constantly, but like never treated as a real problem that like 90% of the team doesn't want to do it. Right. And those people are named Joker, Stick, TJ, and Big Ben are Alex's teammates. Yeah. Awesome. And one of my criticisms of this movie is that I don't know who is who. I don't know which character has which name, and I don't... That's true. No. Alex at many times gestures to them and says all of their names, but I guess you never really know. <laughs> which one's which. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Who's Joker? Because you got to stay away from that kid. Ugh, right? Yeah. What, are we in a Todd Phillips movie? I hope so. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, so th the team plays a rival team, the Warriors, with this kid, Tyler, who mocks them and makes fun of them for being so bad at basketball. Mm -hmm. And then this Liberty tournament is coming up because, I guess, Liberty, because they're in Philadelphia. I'm not sure. They keep calling it a tourney, and I was laughing. Um, but it's coming up in, like, a month. And for once, Alex doesn't want to lose. Mm -hmm. Um also, by the way, Alex has a problem where he never passes the ball to his teammates. So I guess we're setting up an arc here. And then anytime someone says that, though, he's like, well, maybe if you guys didn't suck, I would pass the fucking ball. <laughs> and you're just like, Jesus. Meanwhile, they're like literally there to support him. Like none of them want to even play. <laughs> right, right. They're just like, yeah, well, we don't even like we're just doing this kind of for you and you're not even passing. And <laughs> Yeah. He's a piece of work, that, that kid. So... Then we meet Alex's parents. His mom is a doctor. He tells them that playing basketball is his dream. He wants to be in the NBA. But his mother, who is like very kind of pragmatic, uh, is like, the chances of you playing in the NBA are so slim. You should follow in my footsteps and be a doctor. I think it is funny that I feel like that's, un well, maybe it's not super unusual for a kid's movie, but for just a parent to blatantly tell you, your dreams are never going to come true at the beginning of the movie and have like math to back it up. To be fair, this child is like maybe five feet. Like He's there's not no very way. Tall. Faye, you don't believe in his dream either? I want him to find happiness. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think that he went on to play in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. Um, yeah. Okay. So back at school, Alex goes to 
Rabbi Lewis, who I think is his history teacher, and asks if Rabbi Lewis will hire a real basketball coach who will lead them to victory the way that Judah Maccabee led the Israelis to victory against this evil king Antiochus. That story is, of course, the basis for the holiday and celebration of Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But Rabbi Lewis refuses to hire a new coach. Part of it is because Alex's mom is like on the board of directors or something at the school and she won't like allocate the funds for that. But Rabbi Lewis is like, what if you find a Judah Maccabee elsewhere? So then after school, when Alex stick question mark and julie are shooting hoops uh he alex sees this guy across the I way i love how you say hoops yeah hoops there's like you hoops. said it like it like hurt you to say that <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> they're throwing some basketballs in some baskets and <laughs> Alex sees this guy kind of across the way who is really good at basketball and Alex approaches him, but this guy isn't really interested in talking to Alex. So then Alex and his friends cyberstalk him based on his license plate. They're like able to figure out who he is. I love it. It's an early 2000s, like I'm in <laughs> kind of. It's amazing scene. hacking. I love it. Um, yeah. They find out that he is a former college basketball star who did go on to play in the NBA, I think. His name is Lamont Carr. And then some of the friends think that, oh, maybe this guy is the ghost of Judah Maccabee because they have the same nickname and like some of the same details are the same. So at the very least, Alex is like, hey, maybe this is like the guy who will be able to lead our basketball team to victory. So the next day, Alex asks Lamont Carr if he will coach them. And after a lot of convincing and an offer to pay him, Lamont reluctantly agrees to coach them the following day for an hour. Mm. So they have this practice. The boys are bad. They're out of shape. Then they have practice again the next day. But they're worried that they can't keep paying him. So they have to like figure they like start selling their like basketball trading cards Meanwhile, Alex's mom is like, here, shadow this doctor so that you can become a doctor in a like kind of storyline that ends up going nowhere because like Julie just ends up taking his place in the shadow program. Right. (laughs) It's so unclear. Well, whatever. I just I always felt like Julie was about to become relevant to the plot in a more meaningful way. And then she never did they just kept like moving her to a different area because they're like she loves basketball i'm like oh she's gonna end up playing on the team she doesn't and then it's she's like i want the internship i'm like oh she's gonna end up becoming that i don't know doogie hauser or whatever she doesn't and then it's like and then she's like i'm mad at you and then she's like just kidding i'm not right and then the movie's over yes correct (laughs) waste of cassie Steele's time Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay so then lamont continues to coach them there's like a fundraiser that the boys do where they're selling hot coffee on the street using Alex's mom's espresso machine. It's very weird. Um, and then Rabbi Lewis invites Alex and his family and Lamont over for Shabbos dinner. And Alex's mom is not thrilled with the idea of this stranger coaching these boys on the streets. So Rabbi Lewis suggests that they move the practice to the school 
and like kind of officially hire Lamont as the coach. Mm. Um, but Lamont is like, I don't know about this. I'm actually here in Philadelphia trying to get picked up by the Sixers to play in the NBA. But they decide to go through with the rabbi's plan and start practicing at school. And they officially hire Lamont as the team's coach. Mm -hmm. But then one day, Alex follows Lamont home and learns that Lamont is unhoused and living in his van. And because of this, Lamont had lied about his address when Mrs. Klein, who I think is the principal of the school... Has I don't know what her job title is, but I don't yes. like her. Get up her butt. <laughs> I feel like she really didn't experience any consequences for what a yeah. mean and judgmental person she was. Truly. Um, but she had had him fill out an application for this coaching job, and she's like very suspicious of the whole thing. So... Alex, his dad, who is a real estate agent, Alex is like, hey, dad, can you set Lamont up in this condo that's on the market that you're having trouble selling? So it seems like Lamont is living in this condo. So that happens. Um, and then, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Alex and his family are celebrating Hanukkah because it's Hanukkah while all this is going on. Fun way to like mark the passage of time because this whole movie takes. Also, how long, how many, does this movie just happen over Hanukkah plus a couple of days? Well, it can't because there's a month till the tournament when right. I think it's just Hanukkah towards the end when they like are playing the semifinals and then the finals. Yeah, I think okay. so. Okay. So. Lamont is continuing to coach the team, but Alex is not doing well in school, so he has to sit out until he gets his grades up, and his team comes over and helps him study. The team is continuing to improve their basketball skills, but oh no, the Sixers call Lamont and have him sign a 10-day contract to play for the team, which is might be a real thing. Do I don't know anything do about sports. Do freelance basketball <laughs> players? Is that a thing? I wrote that down and then I forgot to follow up on it. I'm like, can you just freelance a <laughs> for 10 days? What I thought was weirder was the alternative that the um, then the school offers him a position coaching, but it's day by day. Like that to me was weirder than a 10 day contract. He had a day to day position with children at a school. And like basketball season seems like it's like kind of almost over. Well, I guess no, it goes into like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm pretending what? to know anything about basketball season. We don't know anything <laughs> about basketball. However, yeah, a day to day position as a teacher, you're like, okay, well, that's a substitute teacher. Like that. Also, I, I don't know where my head is at right now. I'm like, benefits can we get like come on right get this man health care his knee hurts which also like i'm thrilled for him that he gets to play on the seven on the on the sixers but also it's like he's injured yeah so how do you get a freelance contract playing professional basketball which i'm not convinced exists <laughs> if you're the whole thing is like he's injured i don't right. know. i don't get it i cannot find the logic there but yeah lamont leaves to go for this 10-day contract like right before the liberty tourney mm -hmm. so he leaves and alex is like oh no we're gonna lose the tournament without our judah maccabee but then rabbi lewis is like hey alex you should just look inward maybe you're the judah 
So it's time for the Liberty Tournament, and Alex kind of assumes the role of the team's coach. Uh, They advance in the tournament, and they make it all the way to the finals, Mm -hmm. where they're going to be playing the Warriors, their, like, rival team. Meanwhile, Alex has reconciled with his mom, and she's like, yeah, I should, I guess, not try to push this whole doctor career thing on you, especially because you're only 14 years old. And he's like, thanks, Mom. And then it's time for the big game against the Warriors. Uh, They're losing. The electricity goes out. And so they decide to start the emergency generator and play. This is exciting. (laughs) the, The rules that they establish here is that they're going to play the game, continue playing, until the fuel runs out in the generator. Whoever has, you know, more points, when the fuel runs out, that's who's going to win the tournament. Mm-hmm. So they go back in, they start playing. Meanwhile, Alex's mom has gone to see Lamont, and a miracle seems to happen where his van, which had broken down, starts back up again. So miracles are happening. Right. And then back at the school where the game is being played. Um, Wait, you forgot the part where there's the 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 rap, the rap about dreidels. Dreidels. Wait. <laughs> yes. When they dance. Yeah. There is a dance, and there's also like non diegetic rap. There's a rap about dreidels. Yeah. Playing underneath the dance. Faye, you didn't. I'm so distracted by the dancing. I didn't even. They're rapping about dreidels underneath. Yeah. That really bad child dancing sequence. Oh my wait, let me see if I can find it on YouTube. <laughs> I bet you can. Like that was. I forget who I told I was that we were covering this movie, and they were like, "Oh, that's the movie with the dreidel rap in it." Well, so I was like dreidel hyper like aware of it. Um, but yeah, once you know it's there, uh, yeah, please, please. Can we take an ad break. I gotta watch that. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we'll we'll get there in just a moment, and then we'll get, we'll give you an opportunity to <laughs> watch the oh dreidel rap. I'm so excited I'm for such you. A bad okay. Deal. <laughs> um, okay, so the the generator barely has any fuel in it, and it seems like this team they're gonna need a miracle. Mm-hmm. The fuel again, it's almost run out. But then Lamont shows up, aka Judah Maccabee, mm-hmm. and much like the miracle of Hanukkah where the oil in the lamp was only supposed to last for one night but it lasts for eight nights the fuel in the generator lasts long enough for Alex and his team to keep playing catch up and win the big game and then they all celebrate Mm -hmm. and then Alex's family becomes friends with Lamont's family and they share a nice moment, and then that's the end of the movie. So let's take a quick break. Let's all watch the dreidel rap, <laughs> and then we will come <laughs> right back. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. 
because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've never thought about the song because their dancing is so incredible. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And we're back and we've, we've seen the dreidel rap and we are all better people for it. Well, I feel like I have to, I always say there's no good Jewish songs and now I just feel like an asshole. (laughs) There's been one since 2003. Yeah. Dare I say it's better than anything Mariah Carey's ever done for Christmas. So. Wow. 
Oh, I don't know. I won't argue with you. Let's go. Let's go with it. Good song. So, Faye, before we get into the main discussion, I'm curious how you feel about how um, Judaism and Jewish culture is portrayed in this movie. Well, as the definitive, uh, just like decider of all things Jewish, um, yeah, definitive decider. Um, I say it's good. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty happy with it. Um, no, it's I love it because it's sort of in the background. It's like how it should be. It's not like the forefront where everything's like, I can't go out on Friday. It's Shabbat or I don't know. It's like there's just this. It's like another. It doesn't feel like intentional, like the the entire story could have happened without it being Jewish, but it has like a sweet Jewish. It's just cool seeing people very casually being Jewish. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Like you're not hit over the head with it. It's just like sweet. And you see these little family moments. You're like, oh, I do that with my family. And um, oh. it's just cute to have Hanukkah taking place in the background, like not even in the forefront of a movie, like. I don't know, because when we were talking about this at my wedding, the only other movie we could think of that was like overtly Jewish was Eight Crazy Nights. And that just like hits you over the head with it. It's like we're, we're eight nights of Hanukkah. Each night is like a whole. And that movie does not age well because it's just Adam Sandler making one horribly problematic joke after <laughs> the next. So I have not seen that since it came out and I don't really plan on rewatching it. No. There's yeah, I, I was looking up in general like there's there's at least in like whatever western media there's just like not a lot of examples of movies that like i mean i okay so i'm on the wikipedia page first of all (laughs) you're welcome for hanukkah films Mm. and the only four movies that are cited are an american tale which we should cover at some point Mm -hmm. eight crazy nights which we just said we would rather not (laughs) the hebrew hammer which does anyone know what that is? No idea. And Full Court Miracle. And that's it. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Only four. I think, honestly, because I, I didn't grow up Jewish, um, I think that the piece of media that I most closely associate with learning about Hanukkah was a Rugrats special that came out. Oh, yeah. That was, I think, Maccababy. the only... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I haven't revisited it, but I'm... I'm hoping that the Maccababies are is still is still a classic. Well, the Rugrats are iconic. So my uncle was a director on the Rugrats and one of their like lead writers. No way. And the entire like crew was very Jewish and it was like a very overtly Jewish show like intentionally. And it was awesome growing up with that cuz I got to go like meet all the voice characters and like see cool. like them that's so cool what yeah it's really cool i have all these original animation cells from rugrats and like um oh my god yeah well he was at the wedding i should have introduced you oh my gosh (laughs) yeah but yeah no i love that the rugrats was formative for you it's just like what a sweet show and yeah maca baby's gotta do what a maca baby's gotta do like my little cousins and i when we were little we would play maca babies as a game like that was our like real pirate or whatever other kids play we were like no we're literally the maca babies versus like the (laughs) evil freaks um that's so funny the main jewish representation i saw at any point in my life was kyle brofloski in south park 
and his yeah. his family. Mm. I'm not even mad at that either. I loved that. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's, I, I, it is just like extremely scarce in uh, in Western, especially in comparison to the like absurd amount of Christmas media available mm. in the world. It just it keeps on going. So we really, I mean. I feel like Faye, we've been talking about this for years of, of covering a Hanukkah movie and it just, it was just, there's, there's unfortunately, at least at the time of this recording, not a ton of options. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad that we're covering Full Court Miracle. And then also I think, I think I like learned shit really? by watching. Yeah. Like I, I feel like it's, I don't know. It's very like so many of the elements of this movie are really, you know, after school, especially in a way because it's a decom. So mm -hmm that's in the nature but um i learned stuff in the scene like the way that they integrate the like the shabbos dinner scene i was like i learned things about um i've never been to a shabbos dinner so that was interesting to me i feel like they you know the way that the plot you know maybe heavy-handedly <laughs> you know fits in the maccabee story i was like oh wait yes like rugrats i remember i remember that <laughs> <laughs> I like. I mean, I, I I liked how the the movie, like you were saying, just like this is the world that we're living in, and it seems like there were a lot of. Um, it was certainly written by a Jewish writer. I don't know if it was directed by Stuart Gillard. Let me just while you look that up, Joel Silverman, who was mm -hmm. one of the co-writers on the movie, yes, knew real life. Lamont Carr, which is what this movie yes. is based on, because this is based on a true story. And they knew each other at University of Virginia in the mm. 70s, I want to say. Yeah. And so he kind of adapted his real life story, um, Joel Silverman did, for Lamont Carr's story, because um, there was a time where Lamont Carr was coaching, you know, like youth basketball teams, and he... Yeah, in, uh, in Boca Raton, Florida, no less. Mm -hmm. Not in Philly, right. in Boca Raton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there His some... real life story is fascinating. I wish that they kind of stuck more to, like, Lamont Carr's actual life story, because there were so many, like... He just sounded like a really fascinating guy. Yeah. He was also a wine connoisseur. Mm -hmm. And a and dart player. A dart player. Yeah. I was just like, where is that in the what movie? The movie gloss over these facts. <laughs> right. Like, that's really. And I, I don't know, Caitlin, did you have much luck? I was trying to, like, fact check the more specific elements of Lamont Card that are included in the movie. And there, the most of the information he passed away I think four or five years ago but most of the information around him seems to be pretty general so it was like hard to I don't know like anytime you're you see a movie that you're like based on a true story you're like okay but probably not though but what is real and what isn't and it, <laughs> right it was um in terms of like the broader elements of fake Lamont's story um mm -hmm. like you know he was unhoused at the time of coaching and like the son and the wife i was not able to uh confirm those details in any way i couldn't find information about it either so yeah not sure about that but um yeah yeah in any case this movie had at least one Jewish writer hmm. and and stars a uh, young Jewish actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was also trying to figure out like who of the cast 
the actual actors. Um, Alex D. Linz is Jewish. Mm-hmm. Dare I say all those children looked very Jewish. They played Jewish very well. <laughs> a, a lot of the cast is... Um, I was like, was this a Canadian production? Because so many of the actors that they cast are from Canada. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, full on, there's a Degrassi cast member. <laughs> um, anyways. Um, I did find some criticism surrounding this movie about the, the movie leaning into a fair number of Jewish stereotypes, such as like the overbearing mother. Oh, um, that's every Disney movie. It's like the mom <laughs> wants you to be something specific. And like, you're like, but I like this arts thing. And no that's silly people just look for things to be upset by and if you're upset by that okay that's valid like when i obviously do not speak on behalf of all jews but like i didn't even know that was a stereotype but my mom is so overbearing oh (laughs) my god (laughs) your mom's a sweetheart i love your mom that's kind of why i liked how casual the movie it wasn't like Mm -hmm. these like these like I don't even want to say all the stereotypes I could have done that I've heard in my lifetime. But. So you didn't find there to be like egregious stereotyping with the Jewish characters in the movie? I didn't at all. I thought it, ugh, I love this movie. Yeah. It's like the only <laughs> thing I have. I have to cling to it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't either. But uh, again, as a non-Jewish person, I like wasn't. What were other criticisms that you read i mean everything was kind of vague i found i mean believe it or not not a lot of like prestige journalism has been written about this movie (laughs) (laughs) so what i did find were just a a handful of blog posts one was from something called mainlining christmas where it's uh by aaron snyder she seems to be watching holiday movies in general and trying to find ones that depict Hanukkah and maybe other Jewish holidays respectfully. Mm-hmm. She did not like the movie. She thought it was really bad for like <laughs> mostly like plot hole reasons. Oh, well done. But also <laughs> yeah. Well, the movie cost $12 to make. <laughs> yeah. But um also she felt the this writer felt that Jewish stereotypes were leaned into, but she doesn't get very specific about it. So I don't know what exactly she was referring to. I will say that, I mean, and I I can't really speak to the Jewish stereotyping. I did think that the, the, the main obstructive forces for, for Alex were two women and everyone who was like Mm -hmm. super supportive of him and his dreams were like, Daddy and my rabbi think I'm so awesome and like I can do this. And then it's like Mrs. Klein and his mother that are the obstructive forces, which for sure. So I think at least there's like a little bit of like shrew stuff going on. To me, that's not like the Judaism speaking. It's more of like the 2000s. Disney era where like women right. are telling you what to do with your life like that sort of thing but yeah I, th- I think that's a separate conversation where yeah it's just like the two main like adult women in the movie happen to be sticklers for the rules and they have a happen vision to be <laughs> I mean in a movie written and directed by men I, yeah. yeah well yeah yeah I, I did not phrase that well but <laughs> there was like 
one conversation that felt like maybe was about to pass the Bechtel test, which was between Julie and the mom mm-hmm. when they're just like at the internship mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, we have to go to the game. And I'm like, OK, well, that, that doesn't all right. Count. Yeah, we got to go watch but, Alex play. Yeah, I was like, damn it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they were the only two female characters. Oh, the, the principal, but she was. Well, yeah. So between like Alex's mom and dad dad is like the fun goofball he jokes around a lot and then mom is like i want you to be a doctor and you have you're 14 but you need to have your career path already figured out and what i did appreciate that about that though was that so few stories feature a mother-son story arc it's usually a father-son thing so that for that to be like the main focus of I mean, again, it does make it so that the mother kind of is an antagonistic force for our protagonist, Alex, throughout the movie. Mm. But for that to still focus on like a a mother-son relationship is like a pretty rare thing to see. And on top of that, for like 2003, it's like the, the mom is very clearly the breadwinner of the family. We see the dad doing more like traditionally maternal tasks like he He's is cooking. a cook. Yeah. He's cooking well. And when his mom cooks, she's, she doesn't have time to really cook as well, which is kind of a recurring. She throws some waffles in a microwave. and Right. And that's that's representation for. And there is like a me. moment when the principal is like, Dr. Schlotsky wants to talk to you. And it's the mom. And that's sort mm-hmm. of a powerful moment where you would inherently <laughs> defer to thinking it would be the dad. But no, he's a real estate agent, but not well, a very yeah, he's struggling to sell this one condo that he, yeah, he just simply can't sell. I would say, no offense to Alex's dad, but I would say it doesn't seem like he's trying very hard. There's at one point where Alex comes home during the day. It's like a plot point where it's like, oh, we're going to move Lamont into this condo. But it's like 2 p.m. and Alex's dad has like a cup of whiskey in front of him. He's like... <laughs> He's like drinking during the day. I was like, how hard are you really trying to sell this one condo? And every time that. someone's like, hey, has sold that condo yet? And he's like, nope. Nope. Like he's he's making cakes and drinking whiskey on like a fucking Tuesday. He's chilling. And you're married to a doctor. That's the life, baby. Oh, That's true. That's true. Like why? Why try? I guess like he so anyways alex's the alex's dad character he was so chill that i was like what's going on with this guy um (laughs) yeah he's just making dad jokes but uh yeah i did appreciate that alex's mom has an arc where you know they have a meaningful conversation about like her expectations for alex and he's like you just need to let me follow my dreams even though i know it's very unlikely that i'll make it to the nba just like let Mm -hmm. me have this for a while and she's like you're right, I should like back off and just support you and not try to make you be a doctor. And then she says something like, maybe the only doctor in your future is Dr. J. And I don't know what she was talking about. And I'm like, am I old or out of touch or both or everything? That's like the main basketball card that he, it's a famous basketball player, Dr. J. Yeah, famous basketball player. Julia Serving. Hey, got it. Is that the one he kept selling? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's her being like, I accept your basketball dreams, which apparently Caitlin and Faye don't think he's going to accomplish. I do. (laughs) I think he's going to do it. And I believe in Alex. Um, I did like that journey. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like a, a lesser movie would attribute that whole journey to the dad. 
mm-hmm. but the dad is kind of there more for comic relief. He's there to tell us facts about the history of Jewish basketball players. Mm-hmm. He's there to set off a car alarm. He's there to drink during the day. Like he's just, <laughs> he's more sidelined than the mom. So I, I mean, I do, I do. I, I see where I, I don't remember the name of the writer. Like I, I understand where she's coming from with stereotyping. And, and if that is something that any of our listeners feel it's completely valid. And, mm-hmm. and I also do see what you're saying, Faye of like, uh, there were certainly like a lot of moms in children's media who were depicted this way, regardless of their religious background in 2003. So yeah, definitely. I don't know, anything conversation. to me, it kind of felt more like integrated than anything else. I was like, Oh, this is how they depict every family. Every like white family in a DCOM movie is this way with like a quirky dad, but a strict mom and like a kid who wants to follow mm. his dreams. Like I was like, we are no different. <laughs> it's also Lizzie McGuire. Yeah. That's, Literally, that's it's Lizzie McGuire's parents. Yeah. I feel like, didn't we have that discussion about Xenon? The oh, same thing. space, space girl. Right. Yeah. What is that called? Space. Yeah, so there there is like a, a a precedent for it, but yes, I, I also see. I feel like that also speaks to like how few Jewish kids movies there are that it's like that yeah. would stand out. There's nothing to really compare it to, sure, in a mm-hmm. mainstream way. Yeah, uh, let's take a quick break and then come back for more discussion. Bean Dad, the dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, and we're, we're back. back. Before we jump back into the discussion, I just wanted to quickly shout out, I think that there's a scene where they're letting the kid improvise, and it made me laugh. Ooh, wait, which one? I think that unless it was some very weird dialogue it's the scene it's like an important scene so i'm like what is going on um it's the scene where alex is talking to his mom and she asks him why do you care about basketball so much alex that was not ad lib that was written (laughs) he describes basketball so weird he's just like yeah you know and you have the ball and you throw it and go in the hoop and then it's like whoa oh my god it's in the hoop you know and they're like playing the the score like really loud so it's kind of hard to hear him too i was like is he just like is he having an off day <laughs> i couldn't tell if he was it sounded like he was making it up it sounded like he was saying, like it. you know how if you're like like how you love podcasting so much jamie when you podcast the rest of the world just disappears you have no problem no responsibilities no struggles you know that's what he was when he is playing basketball it's just him and the ball and the hoop, you know, um, and it was beautifully written. And it was a very poignant conversation between a boy and his mother as he faced a window. It sounded like he was being played off stage. The scorer was playing so loud. And he's like, you know, when the hoop and the ball and and then they keep cutting back to his mom. And she's like, uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> it worked. I liked it. I liked when he said right at the beginning, he's like, mom, I'm proud of you for being a doctor, but that's just not for me. Like, Okay. I mean, that's what I always said to my dad. Alex appreciates a powerful woman. He does. Yeah. That's why his best friend is Julie, who has two lines. Okay. Can we talk about Julie? <laughs> because let's talk about Julie really quick. Poor Julie. <laughs> okay. So the movie opens in such a way that it makes it seem like the friendship between Alex and Julie is going to be a, an important. important part of the movie that she's going to be a way more important. She's in like the first scene. Yeah, that sets a precedent narratively that like she's going to be an important character. They never address why she's not on the basketball team. Or like or right. Like yeah, does she does she go to the same school? Does she go to a different Does she school? go Okay, I You know what? It's probably a boys school now that I think about it right i i quit i was like not paying close enough attention but then like part of my headcanon was like so at the end of the first scene they say goodbye to each other and she speaks in spanish so i'm like yeah maybe she doesn't even go to a hebrew school 
But she could be from a like. I don't think it's. I. I she very well could be a Jewish character. Like it, true. But, but we don't see like it's conf- yeah i think that that's just like some clunky ass writing because you're just like well how do they know each other and like does she i was never quite sure if she knew like joker and big ben and like does she know those i guess she does because she right. appears in scenes with them but it's like how do you guys all know each other do you you don't i don't think you really see, you see her at games but you don't see her at the school she yeah she goes i don't think she goes to the school i don't think so either she does cheer him on at the games and i think maybe they're just friends because they like play pickup basketball together because she's a basketball player but we don't learn anything about her interior life at all but also she wants to be a doctor which comes up very suddenly right and then also gets dropped just as quickly I'm like, honestly, I was so, I mean, the bar is so on the floor for movies like this. I'm like, well, I'm glad that they didn't like make her like a a love interest, you know, like Mm -hmm. it could have been worse. True. But it just, yeah, it was so messy and bizarre. And then there's like that scene where she was like, I'm mad at you. And then 20 minutes later, she's like, I'm not mad at you. And then she makes that really funny sign that says like miracles can happen. And then she must have had a Sharpie on hand because she crossed it out. And it says miracles do happen. (laughs) And then we were laughing and crying because <laughs> that's a that's a beautiful story. Yeah, Julie, man, what a disservice. She should have been on the team. What do you lose by having Julie on the team? It sounds like she's a committed basketball player. Well, that would have been interesting because most schools don't have co-ed teams, at least at that age. So, I mean. Right. And at this, I mean, at this school, it's like, you might as well. The team sucks. Let her play. <laughs> right. She seems like she would be an asset to the team. She's a better player than 90% of the team. And she <laughs> likes playing basketball, which 90% of the team really does. doesn't. See, I, I, so why can't she play on the team? I assume she was Jewish and went to that school. And I always loved that they showed like a Latinx Jewish person because there are. Right. Many. Right. Yeah. But now that I think about it, I'm like, I'm thinking back to that scene where the rabbi is like teaching the first class about like the maccabees and i'm like were there any women in that classroom i'm wondering if it was just a boys school and she i don't know now i gotta rewatch again (laughs) yeah first to appreciate the dreidel rap i don't think she goes to the school but i don't think that that doesn't mean that she's not a jewish character well i just use a lot of negatives i don't know if that sentence came out the way i was planning right we we can't um, make any assumptions but we never we don't know enough about her character to know whether or not she's Jewish. Right. What we do know is that she plays basketball and she's like better than most of the people. Honestly, they did they even need Lamont Carr? They could have just asked Julie to like teach them basketball. Julie's busy. She has an internship. Right. Julie's got an internship. Also, like 14-year-olds with internships. This is just outside of my frame of reference. Right. But whatever. I'm glad she got to do that, although I didn't know that she wanted to until she just said, I want to, and then she was doing it in the next scene, and it had no narrative impact. Basically, you can write her out of the movie, and the story changes not even a single percent. Like, But but also don't. Let but, her uh, stay. Like, she, she should, should be, be in the there. movie, and she should have just been written to be more important of a character who like contributes to the story. Yeah. The choices they make with her were so bizarre to me. Yeah. Okay. And then the, the final character who is a woman is Mrs. Klein who again between similar to like the mom and dad character where like the the woman is the 
you know, the stickler, like, sh- I kind of hesitate to use shrew, but she's kind of a shrew. Yeah, she is. Yeah. That's fair. And between Mrs. Klein and the other, like, main educator character in the story, Rabbi Lewis, you know, she is the disciplinarian. She's the one who's always, like, trying to squash their fun. And, you know, she doesn't know how to be silly or goofy. And she's always, like, you know, stickler for the rules. Whereas Rabbi Lewis is like very laid back and he's, he even says like, silliness is good for the soul. I mean, Rabbi and Lewis is a really fun character. I like, I like him. He's fun. I like him too. But he, yeah, he like exists in contrast to her. Yeah. Oh yeah. I hated the, um, that principal character. Like it just felt very, um, it was hard to <laughs> Like, observe the scene where she follows Lamont home and not think it was racially motivated. Like, how weird did that feel? What? Well, that's the thing is, like, I think, like, it's heavily implied, whether the movie is even, like, acutely aware of this or not, that, like, she's racist and classist. Yeah. And, like, her, I mean, she, and it's through her that all of this shit comes through of, like, God, I mean... There's so many, and I guess that this starts the discussion about Levant's character as well, but the way that she acts when she is, like, pressuring him to give her a permanent address is really hard to watch and really frustrating, and, mm-hmm. like, especially because we as an audience know by then that he's unhoused, and that, whatever, it's like, if you know anything about those sorts of issues, it's like, well, why would not having a permanent address preclude you from being employed? And how are you going to have a permanent address if you're not given sustainable employment? You fucking (sighs) anyways. Yeah. And then she like stalks him and like, just, I don't, I don't know. Such a weird invasion of privacy. She sucks. And then, yeah, I'm curious to everyone's thoughts on like how the movie treats just sort of like the idea of being unhoused because we learn that Lamont is unhoused. He has family back in Virginia. So I'm like, is he just like living out of his van while he's staying in Philadelphia trying to get a job? Like does, is his family housed back in Virginia? I think that that's the implication. Yeah, that's what I got from it. Yeah. And then they like set him up in this condo that alex's dad is having trouble selling and that that not trying to sell at all right there just like drinking whiskey and right so he's like well, i don't know no one wants to buy it <laughs> so i don't know i just i mean we've definitely seen movies that handle the state of being unhoused worse and that are like cruel to characters who are unhoused but this this one felt a little dissonant to me but it definitely hasn't wasn't like the worst example we've seen as far as depictions of a unhoused person of color speaking as someone who is neither a person of color nor unhoused um (laughs) i was like this feels empathetic this feels like he's very human uh he has a whole Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just like this person who the trope of like someone who's drinking or drugs or whatever. This was just someone who is down on his luck and got injured, which is a very typical reason do people do end up uh, unhoused. And mm-hmm. I love this scene where they're eating dinner together, him and Alex. And mm-hmm. yeah, I loved that he was a human character as opposed to just like this depiction of the worst of it. Um but yeah, the movie doesn't yeah seem to make a judgment call on him being unhoused. And in fact, the movie wants, I think, wants you to 
condemn the behavior of the principal who yeah. is like yeah. judging him and trying to discriminate against him for being unhoused. So yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought it's like I don't know. Like everything in this movie, it's very after school special. It's very like of this decom genre where it's like it's all gonna be a little heavy-handed it's not gonna like age 100 percent well but i felt like at least where the movie was coming from felt like it was coming from an empathetic place like yeah. the protagonist of the movie immediately empathizes doesn't judge lamont for being unhoused they like you're saying Faye, like they i and i like kind of that like duality of like Lamont goes to Alex's house for dinner and then Alex goes to Lamont's place for dinner and they have a discussion about it. It's like there aren't, I don't know. I mean, I have like the, the classic negative stereotypes, especially in 2003, where I feel like that stereotype was just like flying around then of either portraying unhoused people as the butt of jokes mm -hmm. or kind of trauma porn in, in a in a lot of regards yeah, yeah. this is like uh i don't know i mean there's there's more to be said about the lamont character but i i think it's kind of more empathetically done than most of those stories mm -hmm. and not something that's like negative for kids yeah. necessarily if you think about the audience how it is most kids this is it could very well be some like a child's first introduction of someone who is unhoused and like it's kind of a sweet I guess like a, I don't know I don't know the word I guess empathetic introduction to someone who does live on house because yeah, yeah. They're like a, they're definitely the protagonist and they're seen as like this Judah Maccabee character this big hero and like a legend and an incredible talent and a sweet guy and, and we like, learn a lot about his life and his yeah pa his backstory his yeah. interior life we learn way more about him than we do about Julie certainly yeah. <laughs> poor Julie yeah I think I, I ultimately felt like it was like an imperfect but like well-meaning attempt yes. for 2003 sure but let's keep I mean let's keep talking about Lamont because I also like was happy and and that was when I was like oh I want to learn about the real Lamont and it sounds like there's a lot of like it sounds like the Lamont of this movie is honestly heavily fictionalized mm -hmm. and the main takeaway is like this basketball player uh, who got injured briefly was the coach of a young Jewish team like I think that that's maybe the extent to which it, it is yeah. quote unquote based on his life yeah that's what it seems like because there's not a single mention of darts in the movie full court miracle <laughs> he should be drinking wine with Alex's dad you know like they should be midday 2 p.m <laughs> sommelieing it up together mm -hmm. but as far as Lamont's character goes I I I don't know. I'm like, again, it's, I think that there are tropey elements to the way that he's presented mm -hmm. in the movie that are like, I, I, I don't know. What, how did everyone feel? I felt like there were magical elements about oh. Lamont that were presented. Like it, I, it felt yeah. like very firmly in that trope of like the magical black character who shows up and, you know, helps the white protagonist uh, reach his goal. That's like literally how I describe the movie to people who haven't seen yeah. it. I'm like, there's some like magical black character who helps a bunch of white people be successful and then sort of has their story not really finish or mm -hmm. develop. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I was 
if that's the story they're trying to tell, like, how could they kind of avoid that? But yeah, it definitely. Well, it's that's so that's the problem is like, I feel like they didn't need to tell the story that way. Like all of the magical elements of this story, I like, I don't know, it, it's tricky because I understand that the magical elements are part of what makes the Hanukkah metaphor so central to the story. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that happens at the expense of Lamont's character and kind of leaning into a trope that is marginalizing Lamont's character if that makes sense where there are moments where and again it's like I think that what is maybe it's still very firmly this trope but we know a lot about Lamont we know about his background we know what his goals are independently of coaching this team of 14 year old kids Mm -hmm. he does achieve that dream briefly and he does have a fully realized arc where he's realized or reunited with his family and then they're just like we're gonna move to Philadelphia it's kind of clunky right. but <laughs> but we do know a lot about his character but it's still like ultimately he is there to like usher these kids to victory and then there's a few moments where he's straight up presented as magical I mean in the last scene where he shows up yeah. and the power is back on in the gym there's <laughs> no explanation for why that is yeah that was bizarre yeah and for him to be the only black character who has right any lines or any characterization whatsoever it like is especially glaring yeah i also find it funny this is maybe a little off topic but i find it (laughs) i don't even know what to make of this but like the miracle that happens is like we these kids gotta finish their basketball game the the stakes the look at these stakes they couldn't be higher i agree <laughs> yeah and i'm like Agreed. is this really the miracle we need right now for these like 14 year old boys to win their oh. basketball i game? feel like it was even less nuanced than that it was literally like there's only enough oil in this generator or whatever <laughs> energy juice whatever the hell it was to last for one minute and then it lasts for eight minutes like mm-hmm. it's even less like right nuanced than you're describing it was straight up like the miracle is uh, very specific mm-hmm. um in one regard i love that they kept using the word like miracle and that that was so heavy-handed of bit because that is like really the point of Hanukkah and the point of Hanukkah is like not that it's near Christmas at all or like that you get gifts or that I don't know just like any of the things that you might associate from just like regular culture or whatever it really is like about this like I don't know ownership of like that moment and the the legitimate miracle when a small band of Jews were able to like fight oppression and have oil that lasted long enough for them to resurrect their temple. And like, even though like it was so corny and the miracle for these young 14 year old boys was a basketball game. <laughs> I think it just like made, made it seem accessible. Like what, what sure. miracle are you going to preach to a DCOM audience that's going to feel <laughs> right. relevant? That like, is fair. Usually a contest or a sport. It's game. always like, like a contest. It has to You're going to have to win something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like framing the context of like a miracle around something that a Disney Channel audience is going to think, wow, that really <laughs> is a miracle. We won our Torny. <laughs> that is fair. I didn't think of it like that, that it makes it right. very accessible to a young audience. Yeah, I think ultimately I just wish that like because there is that a, a amount of attention paid 
to the Jewish characters that that same amount of consideration had been extended to like, well, how are we portraying the only black character in the movie? And are we um, effectively avoiding stereotypes, which I don't think that they were also, I I just like, I also wish this is, and I'm sure that this is a budgetary thing because like, how would you do this? But it felt like it kind of reminded me decom wise of the end of high school musical where you see all of Zac Efron's basketball game. And then you see none of Vanessa Hudgens's science contest. And you see like <laughs> five hours of Alex's basketball game. And I'm like, what about Lamont? We don't even get to see Lamont in the stadium. I'm assuming because they couldn't afford to shoot in a stadium, but I mm-hmm. felt like his story was kind of like dropped, especially after this scene was like intense. <laughs> the scene between Alex and Lamont, where Lamont has just achieved his life's goal. Like he's yeah. going to play for the 76ers, and these kids are furious at him. They're so <laughs> mad. They're like, what How about fucking us? dare you? And and I'm like, mean, Lamont could not have been more communicative from the beginning. He, he was, was so straight clear. up like, I am in town for a reason. It is to play this game with this team. I That's all I, he's here for. He gets that opportunity. And suddenly everyone's like, wait, you never told us you'd leave. <laughs> Alex was so out of line. He's like, yeah. oh, you think that's what your family would want? And Lamont is like, yeah, I actually <laughs> do. Like, that's why I came here. <laughs> Right. And yeah, he even cites like, I have a family to support. They're relying on me. And the only reason the catalyst that gets Lamont to agree to coach these boys is that they offer to pay him, which I'm glad they did. Like I was like, yeah, imagine the movie if it's like these like, you know, son of a doctor and real estate agent or like, hey, random guy who I'm bothering who's just on the court shooting hoops teach my team but for free (laughs) (laughs) so i'm glad that these like these kids had the wherewithal to like understand that you know someone's labor should be compensated sure with money because we live in a capitalist society where that's how things work and And that is like rooted in like lamont's motivation too where it's like he we we know that he needs money to continue pursuing this dream of freelancing with the Sixers, which I still with don't know if that's a thing, contract. but whatever, maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is. I don't know how sports work. Hey, Bechtel heads that are also basketball heads, let us know. Let us know in the comments. So, yeah. And then also just the, the end of, I don't know, like there were some points where... I don't know. I'm still I'm still mad about the mystical troping of Lamont. Yeah. But th- there's there's some moments where his story is very front and center. And then other times where it's kind of like you're just like, wait a second, what happened there? Where you do learn so much about him. You learn about when they're trying to figure out if he's the reincarnation of Judah Maccabee. Yeah. You know, they ask him about his background to verify that. How many brothers did you have? Who is your father? And he answers very honestly. We find out that he had a brother who was a cop who died. And you're like, well, that's a lot of information. Mm -hmm. That information does not come back by the way. It's just something that you learn. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, but then it's like at the end, I think the end, it just becomes so about the basketball game because it's a decom and the kids want to know how the basketball game is going to go. But at the end, they kind of like Lamont's story. It's so like, it's literally like when Vanessa Hudgens comes to the gym at the end of High School Musical and it's like, <laughs> we won too. Like it's that. Um, 
which is an iconic moment in cinema where they drop her storyline completely and then she shows up and she's like, we won too. And we're like, okay, who cares? But it's like, did you forget to shoot some scenes of the movie? Because that's what it felt like for this movie where like Alex's mom goes to like give Lamont a ride or something like that. Or they like, then she like, they pick up his family at the airport. But like those scenes feel like, we need those scenes. <laughs> I wish it was unclear that that happened. Yeah. And then Lamont just is like, oh, yeah, by the way, in the scene that we didn't, we forgot to shoot. We, My family my family's here now, now here. and they're actually moving here, right. uh, which also I was like, oh, they're moving here. But he just was freelancing. Wouldn't he just go home? But now he has a full time job, which he didn't know until they already agreed to move there. So it was just kind of confusing. <laughs> yeah. But and also but I guess that there is like that's a moment where it's not attributed the magical quality is like not attributed to Lamont but that scene where the mom shows up at assuming outside of the Sixers stadium whatever yeah and then she's like try to start your car and he's like it won't start and then she looks at like lightning and then she's like try to start your car (laughs) and then it does start and I was like I guess that that was the magic of Hanukkah I don't know Trying to cut the movie a little slack and saying that a lot of the magical elements are more about the Hanukkah metaphor. I don't even know if metaphor is the right word because it smacks you over the head so obsessively, mm-hmm. but less about like the magical black character. But I mean, you just obviously have to be aware and particular about those things. But I'm like trying to not just ruin this movie for myself. And I feel like a lot of the like the ghost and the magic and the generator it's more about the hanukkah aspect than this like oh right i think it just it it becomes complicated when you only have one black character in the entire movie and that's like where the expected to be the ghost of a israeli hero yeah it's (laughs) it's complicated complicated. when i first saw the movie i thought they were going to make like a really cool observation when Alex or Schlotz is like, I think this guy is the ghost of Judah Maccabee. And then all his little Jewish friends are like, uh, I don't think so. And it's obvious that they think he's crazy because A, like our ghost real and B, it's like this tall black guy. And mm. he says like, uh, well, we don't know what Judah Maccabee looked like. It could have been. And at first you kind of think they're going to reference the fact that like, Jews from Israel were like Middle Eastern and maybe like that Mm. is what someone looked like and then doesn't really come back or like I don't know when I first saw that scene I was like oh my god are they about to reference the fact that like Jews historically have been people of color and like are actually Middle Eastern and people's depictions of Jesus are really whitewashed and like all these ideas and then Mm. I'm like oh no 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 they're just making a joke because it's a deep they don't touch on right I was I was yeah I was really um hoping that that would happen but this is not the movie where it happens yeah was there uh is there anything else that people wanted to to touch on i didn't really have anything else i just wanted to say i truly like you know i enjoyed the performances in this movie even that weird scene where i truly think the kid was improvising how basketball (laughs) makes him feel Um, Because he was like, you know, when you put the thingy in the hoop and it feels so good. But anyways, line of the movie is when Lamont, it's just like, I don't know, like, you know, when someone starts real acting in the movie in the middle of like a movie that it's not like that. But when Lamont is like, don't ever do that. Don't put yourselves in a box. I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. I felt it. 
I felt it. That was a sweet moment. It was really sweet. He's just like, you really think a bunch of Jewish kids can win? He's like, don't ever do that. That was sweet. Yeah. I thought that was great. Aww. It was great. Shout out to the actor who plays Lamont, Richard T. Jones. He's like been in a bajillion things. I I recognized him from I know, I looked him Santa up. Clarita Diet. Quite the career. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Good for him. So that's my way of saying that I've seen Santa Clarita Diet. And you know what? <laughs> I thought it was just fine. <laughs> um, I keep thinking you're going to say Santa Claus. Yeah. Santa University, which is coming out this season. How dare you bring him up during our Jewish episode? I know. I'm so sorry. You really got a way to loop in Santa. Faye, do you want, do you want to be in Santa University this year? I would be absolutely honored. Can I play a Jewish character? Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> wow. This is like really for my career as a freelance basketball player. <laughs> I think this year is going to be called the Santa vaccine, but I won't know until I write it two minutes before we record. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. I'm obsessed. We should really have a star-studded cast this year. If you're an extremely famous person um, and you're listening to this right now, um, <laughs> so I know if you want to be in Santa University. Let's, uh, let's try to get <laughs> Alfred Molina. Yeah, he's probably going to be busy doing press for spider-man but santa university counts as press i would say i agree i agree it gets uh it was uh you know it gets press santa <laughs> university i'm sure millions of people listen it was to on it. a uh, list <laughs> i know about it i don't even know i don't remember if that's a lie or not wow. um well anyways let's talk about whether full court miracle passes the bechdel <laughs> test or not i think the answer is no I did forget about that scene where Julie and Alex's mom, who do we learn her first name at any point? Oh, or is she? Because we've learned that her the eponymous his, mom. his dad's name is Marshall. She's credited as Cynthia. If we learn her name in the movie, I like missed it. So yeah, I don't know. Alex's mom, <laughs> mom <laughs> Cynthia, and Julie do talk about this like shadowing a doctor program which I did forget about that scene. But yeah, I, th I feel like they're they're talking about a male doctor that Julie is shadowing and they're talking about having to get to Alex's basketball game. So. Yeah, it doesn't. I was like very like tuned into that scene because I was okay. like, maybe. Mm. No. Nope. It doesn't. Shoot. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Well, well, we tried. As far as our nipple scale goes zero to five nipples based on examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens um i mean for this to be one of four mm -hmm. <laughs> movies mm -hmm. that prominently feature hanukkah i don't know if that was like a list of like american films or what exactly but either way there are very few out there and while Hanukkah is not the most important holiday in the Jewish religion, it'd still be nice to have movies about it and movies about other holidays from any religion because there are 8 trillion Christmas movies and so much representation in media of Christmas. And there are very few movies about any other holiday or religious celebrations or traditions. Yeah. Where's the winter solstice? movie that's what i want to know <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but um, look i yeah i agree and i also am like 
let's get Santa University off the ground as well. <laughs> sure, fair. <laughs> so fair. it's complicated for me. Um, Two things can be true. <laughs> yes. So I think it's really positive for this movie to exist and for young Jewish kids who saw this movie on the Disney Channel to have felt represented by it for adults seeing it for the first time three years ago, such as yourself, Faye. Thank you. (laughs) Feeling represented. I think that is a really positive, wonderful thing. I don't like the way the female characters are represented. Although, again, the two adult women do have an arc. They maybe even have a redemption, which is something that we talk about in holiday movies a lot, where it's always like, a dad needs to redeem himself because he was a bad daddy, but then he becomes Santa and now he's a good daddy or whatever those stories are about. I think that that's what it's about. (laughs) So, you know, we get these, you know, kind of like stickler shrewish type of women but then they come around and they have an arc so i don't know i feel a few different ways about it and then julie just is like set up to seem like she's going to be an important character and then is completely sidelined we learn nothing about her the you know the magical black character trope that is present I don't know. For me, this I feel like it's just going to have to be like a split down the middle where like there's a lot of good things. There's some not so good things. Two and a half nipples. I'll give them to the menorah <laughs> that is lit in a couple of different you know, A fun Jewish fact yes. about the menorah Please. is that yes. a menorah is actually just like a candelabra. And the specific one you use for Hanukkah is called a Hanukkah because it has to have eight little hands mm-hmm. and then one the main candle lighters called the shamash oh wow i did not know oh so thank you for giving yours your nipples yes oh wait i'm gonna take a <laughs> half nipple away from that and then give my half nipple to the dreidel wrap i was gonna say i'm giving all my nipples to the dreidel wrap uh <laughs> I'll, I'll go two and a half as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Caitlin. I feel like sometimes the Hanukkah metaphor uh, chafed with other prominent tropes in a way that went a little under-examined. Yeah. I wish that Julie had more to do because I'm just like, you had Manny Santos and you did what with her? Nothing. <laughs> That's an interesting decision. Oh, and I also just want to say, I think that, like, yeah, this is a, a great movie for... Um, the representation of Jewish kids, but it's also great for kids who aren't Jewish to like know more about Hanukkah because there's not a lot of media that is going to, I mean, it's like Rugrats. I don't know. Absolutely. This movie gave me a clearer understanding of what Hanukkah celebrates than I had before. So that brings me so much joy, truly. <laughs> and truly like the stuff it like I, I, yeah, the Shabbat dinner scene, like I learned a lot. And it's like kind of embarrassing for the world that there's not more media that teaches uh, non-Jews about Judaism. Especially since Jews run the media, you know, like they're <laughs> you think we'd have more. Faye's perjuring herself at the end of the episode, which is interesting. <laughs> I'm giving my two and a half nipples to the dreidel wrap. Done. Done. Beautiful. Faye, what, what do you what do you say? I'm honestly giving it three nipples. I'm notoriously lenient about my nipple giving. Uh, (laughs) And we love that about you. Yeah. You know, it's well-meaning. And I always throw on a half nipple for intention. Um, (laughs) And I just want to see Jews on TV. Jews played by Jews doing Jew things. That is my goal. 
And I love seeing Hanukkah on, on TV and I love seeing it geared at kids and it just being very chill and casual and seeing that these kids are just like me. They play basketball. And yeah, there's no good female characters and the black character has to be magic. Yeah, these things are true. Mm-hmm. But we have kippahs and we have hanukiahs and we have a dreidel wrap. And for that... <laughs> I'm going three nipples. And I will give my nipples to my non-Jewish husband for introducing this movie to me and for Ross. being so excited to learn about Judaism all the time. Mm. And that is special to me. Ross, we hope we didn't let you down. This episode oh, is dedicated to you, whether you liked it or not. This is your wedding present. So <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Oh, man. No, thank you so much for wanting to do a Hanukkah episode and Chag Sameach to everyone out there. I hope you have such a good Hanukkah and light some pretty candles and just see your family, your chosen or otherwise. And you don't have to lean into all the trying to be Christmas slash capitalism indoctrination moments. There don't have to be presents or buying things. It's just supposed to be about family and joy and miracles and it's a pretty holiday shout out to the moment where uh, alex gets a uh, an encyclopedia on he gets like wikipedia on cds <laughs> and he's like thank you they're like you didn't want that <laughs> love that um i do like the way his mom is characterized as far as like she's just like very self-aware and she's just like very oh i don't know she just like has a wonderful awareness about the world and her son and she's like i know you think my cookies suck but i gave them to you anyway i know you don't want wikipedia on cds but guess what it's happening (laughs) um i would love wikipedia on cds Mm -hmm. well i guess that's the episode yeah faye thank you so much everybody Truly happy Hanukkah. Thank you very much in Hebrew. And Faye, where can we find you on the World Wide Web? Oh my gosh, you can find me at Faye or Love on everything. No, why just Instagram. I don't do tweets. Um, and then Junior High is at Junior High LA on Instagram and Twitter. I do not run the Twitter, so if you tweet at me, I will not see it um and come to junior high i'm i'm very into doing things irl these days now that everyone's vaccinated get vaccinated oh also shout out to your art depicting a scene in titanic I'm which working on making merch for you don't worry thank you so much i really appreciate it <laughs> oh sorry no i meant for caitlin not jamie oh shit yeah yeah i requested it so it's mine that's really no that's awesome for you guys that's so fun (laughs) but jamie if you play your cards right maybe i'll give you a certain winter solstice gift maybe you guys can like share this mug i'm working on or something (laughs) (laughs) no i can't wait to see it that's gonna be really cool I'm just getting merch for everyone. Yay. Um no, I love you both. Thank you so much for doing a little Hanukkah episode. I'm sorry there wasn't um a better movie to watch. Well, they... hopefully there'll be more soon. I hope so. You should write a Hanukkah movie. Maybe I will use my knowledge of n- not writing movies to write take movies. my screenwriting class. This was actually a long ad. Yeah, Caitlin's just <laughs> trying to get your money. Literally count me in. I'm not a good writer. Sicko. 
you can find the you can find the Bechtel cast on the internet as well. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Bechtel cast. You can get merch for whatever holiday you celebrate because capitalism rocks, rolls and rules, baby. <laughs> no matter what your religion, we <laughs> abide by capitalism, baby. It has a tpublic.com slash the Bechtel cast. You can also join our Patreon, aka Matreon, where we cover two additional movies, just me and Caitlin every month mm. and what are we what are we doing for december we're doing we're doing another princess switch because we're pilled we're, <laughs> we're, yeah we're, not we're quite covering right. princess switch three not enough vanessa hudgens is yes that's our advanced there should be at least five and then i think we're still deciding on a second december matreon movie so wow stay tuned but uh yeah Faye, thank you again for being here come back anytime thank you and I love you. happy hanukkah to you all bye bye <laughs> Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.